We're going to start a new series today entitled, Why Church? We're going to answer that question, why do we do this? Why do we take time out of our week on, on, on Sunday morning? Why do we gather together? Why do we sing? Why do we sit under God's word? Why do we do this? Have you ever, have you ever asked yourself that? Like, like, why do I take time out of my week to do this, this thing? Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty hungry right now. Um, and, uh, you know, why are we doing this and you're not having brunch somewhere? So, so I want this series to answer that question. But before we look at the Bible and the way that the Bible answers that question, I want to ask you, have you ever thought about that? Like, like if you're someone who's placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and his life, death, and resurrection for your sins, and I asked you the question, or somebody else asked you the question, it could be in your home, it could be in a coffee shop, wherever it is, I said, hey, um, why is church important in your walk with Jesus? What would you say? Well, I thought of some various answers that I've heard um, in the past, um, that I've even thought in the past, so let me just give you some of the answers that maybe this is your answer. You might answer it this way, well, it's always something I've done, like it's just part of my heritage. Well... I mean, that would, be, that would be true of me. Like, I was born, I mean, not literally born in the church, but I can't remember a time where I didn't go to church. And, and so you may be like me and like, man, I've really never thought about it deeply. It's just kind of something I've always done. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you watching right now, listening right now. You're in this room right now. That might be true of you. Maybe this is true. Maybe you would answer it this way. Well, I went when I was a kid, and I have some positive experiences from that. Uh, probably more your answer is, I don't, but let's say you do, and you're like, well, I want my kids to have that a part of their growing up. And so you might have little kids, and, and if you really would answer that question, you're like, well, actually, I really go more for my kids than for, for me. And so maybe that's your reason. Here's another reason that, uh, that I've heard before. Um, it's a place where I can build friendships and be encouraged. Like you're new to the area, and one of the things you're like, man, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's my savior. Let's get connected. Let's go find a church. I mean, that's an exhausting process, right? But let's go find a church because we need some relationships. We need some friendships. And so you're like, well, that's maybe something I want, why I would answer, or how I would answer that question, why church is important. Maybe you would answer it like this. Well, I don't believe it's a vital part of my walk with Jesus. And so, you know, I just, you just happen to catch me on a good day, Johnny, and I'm here today. Uh, or I'm watching today. But uh, I'm not sure that, I mean, if I'm really be honest, and that's, we're in church, right? We need to be honest. Um, you might say it's not. Maybe you'd feel, maybe you'd say this. Man, I feel guilty when I don't go, so I go. Or you're like, man, I got something big happening, some big meeting happening on Monday or Tuesday, or, or I really need the Lord to, 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 to really work. I want this promotion. I, I want this loan to go through, whatever. So I'm gonna go to church on Sunday so Jesus can give me a solid during the week. Might be, might be true, right? Or maybe this is you. And if this is you, uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited about what we're gonna look at in this series. Maybe you're like, Johnny, I know I'm supposed to do it, but I honestly can't give you a why. Like, I don't know where in the Bible I'm being told 
to be actively connected into a church. That's why we're doing this series. Now, we're going to explain what the word church means because a church is not a place. A church, you are part of the church if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. We'll explain that here in a minute. But here, I want to talk about what this, not, what this series is not meant for because I think that's, this is important to say this. It's not made to make you feel shame if, like, this just happens, this Sunday is the first time that you've been in church in a year. And so, you're like walking around and you're like, yep, they're already judging me. That's not what this series is about. If you're watching online and, and there's circumstances on why you're having to watch online, this is not meant to make you feel guilty at all. Like I'm so thankful that we can provide that. Many of you who are new to the church in the last year have said, man, I started watching you guys online. But I hope that at the end of this series that you'll realize that if you're watching online, you don't see that as a permanent option. It's not a long-term solution. So this series is not about making anyone feel shame. No, no, this series is about us looking at God's word as to why we do what we do. Because I'd venture to guess in the conversations that I've had over my years in ministry, when I've asked someone, why is church, according to the Bible, important for you to be connected to, very few people can give a chapter and a verse as to why. And so the last thing that I would want to do is allow guilt to be the motivation for you or allow because I said so to be the motivation for you because here's the deal. If that's what's motivating you or any of the things that I mentioned already and how you answer that question, you being connected to a local church is going to be short-lived at best. No, no, no. We want to be able to say, as people who make up Salem Chapel, no, 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 I'm connected to this place because it is a conviction from God's word. That's why we're taking the next four weeks just to walk through this. And the reality is, is listen, pragmatically, I've had many conversations as well with people that just have admitted, and I'm so thankful that they felt like they could, they just admitted, man, it's hard for me to engage society again after I've been cooped up forever how long. Like, I know I need to. I know I need to get back in the game, so to speak. But honestly, it's hard. I have some anxiety. Those different things like that, those are all legitimate things. And so I think it's important that we, as we're, Lord willing, coming out of this time that we've been in, and as we're rechecking everything that we've done before this time and whether or not we should continue to do it or whether we should not continue to do it, that we start asking ourselves, wait a minute, what's the why behind the what? And this morning and for the next four weeks, I wanna give you the why behind the what of church. Let me just explain what I'm referring to. We're gonna talk about what that word means. And for sure, church is not a building it's not necessarily solely a place. But what we're gonna talk about this series is going to talk about the significance of gathering together. 
So we could do a whole long series on the nature and purpose of the church, and we're going to touch on some of those things. So listen to me. If you walk out of here today and you're like, well, Johnny should have said that, or Johnny should have gone to this passage of Scripture, dude, I got four weeks, bro, so just (laughs) slow your roll, okay? Give me some time. Uh, This morning is going to kind of set it up, all right? So (laughs) turn over to Matthew 16 in your Bible. Um, It'll be on the screen here in a minute, but I want to give you the, the over arching idea of what we want to get after today as we kick off this series. And before I say this, let me just let you know about uh, the word church in the New Testament and where it comes from. Uh, The New Testament, if you didn't know this, is written in Greek and the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Uh, Those were the original languages that that the Bible was written in, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek. If you didn't know that, man, you already learned something. We're already batting a thousand. So the word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. Just say that with me, ekklesia. So you already learned something, like you found out that the New Testament was written in Greek, and you learned a Greek word today. Um, But that word literally in its most basic form means gathering or an assembly. So it's not necessarily, like it was used during that time, not in, just in spiritual terms, but it meant anything that was a gathering. So you could go to, uh, to your kid's recital, you know, at the end of the school year, which I'm not sure if they started doing any of those, which that's a win from COVID, let's just say that. Um, <laughs> but you would say, well, I'm going to an ecclesia. So it means gathering or an assembly, but when we see it in the New Testament, it has more significance than just that. It literally, when you take the word apart, means a called out one. That you've been called out of something with a purpose. That's the idea of the New Testament word ecclesia as found in the Bible. So what does it mean to be called out? What it's referring to is when I place my trust in Jesus Christ as the savior of my sins, that there's, no, there's not enough good that I can do to warrant favor from a holy God, but Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life for me, a life that you and I can't live, died on the cross for my sins, what I deserve because of my sins, rose again three days later, so if I place my trust in him as my Lord and savior, I have a relationship with him, I have been called out From the penalty of my sin and the fate that my sin deserved, which was hell and eternal punishment and separation from God, and I have been called into a relationship with God. So that word ecclesia refers to what has happened to me when I place my trust in Jesus Christ. So that's part of that word. But there's also this idea that the church becomes the church and takes full advantage of the beauty of that when they are assembled together. It's a perfect example. We, for 14 years, met at Thomas Jefferson Middle School. Way before I got here, but nevertheless, I remember those days. 14 years. So that middle school auditorium became the church, Salem Chapel, as God's people who believed in him as their Lord and Savior gathered together into that middle school auditorium for an hour and a half. All of a sudden, there the church was assembled. When we gather into this place right now, 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of the church. We're going to talk about that. But when we gather into here collectively, we are the church of Salem Chapel. When it's 10 o'clock at night and there ain't nobody in here, guess what this is? Just a building. But when God's people come into this place, it becomes the church of Salem Chapel. That's a pretty profound thing when you think about it. But that's the idea of ecclesia in the New Testament. So here's the idea that I want you to get today. This one idea that everyone has a church that they attend and a person they worship every week. I don't care if you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not, that's a reality for you. Everyone has a church that they attend and a person they worship every week. Right now, everywhere, everyone is doing church today. Everyone. There is something that you are consistently engaged in on a Sunday morning, and that is your church. Your bed could be your church. And you're like, hey man, Sundays is my only day to like sleep in, and so like I, I, I'm not really into that church thing. Well, the bed is your church. Or you could say, you know what, man, football's coming up, and the NFL is your church, because you're like, man, I can't, I, I, man, if Johnny goes long, I'm missing the one o'clock game, which Hopefully, I never go that long, but, but you know, I want to catch a pregame and all of that stuff, and I like to do the burgers and the hot dogs and get everything ready for the game, and well, here's the reality. That's your church. You're like, man, I like to go on the we- lake every Sunday and every- on the weekend and, you know, that or church. Not- well, then the lake's your church or the field or the court or the park, or whatever it is. Every one of us has a church that we attend. Don't lose sight of that. And if everyone has a church that we attend, then there's someone that we worship in that church, right? Now, there we only have two options. There's many options where we can do church, that place that we give our time, that we give our allegiance, but there's only two people that we can worship. One is the Lord, and the other is you. It's so important to remember, because listen to me, the only church that promises to withstand is the church of Jesus Christ. If your church is your bed, if your church is your TV, if your church is your lake, if your church is a ball, if your church is whatever, listen to me, those are going to grossly overpromise and underdeliver. But the church, as Jesus defines it, will last. Here's why I say that. Look at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. Let's see what Jesus says about his church. By the way, this is the first time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament. So look at verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? So let me give you some context here. So a couple years ago, uh, in October, I had the privilege of being able to go to Israel. 
and go to Jerusalem in that area where much of the, the Bible, um, or really all of the Bible pretty much, uh, took place in the area that we were. And so we actually went to Caesarea Philippi where Jesus asked his disciples these words. Here's what I found out significant that I did not know before. Is Caesarea Philippi was a polytheistic society. What I mean by that, if you don't know that term, is they worship many gods. And so even though Jesus is speaking to Jews who were monotheistic, who only worship God, he's in a society right now that worship many gods. In fact, when we were standing there in the area that they believed, the region in Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus would have asked this question, it was interesting that there was a lot of um, rock around that area and carved inside the rock were these little mini temples where they worship different gods. And I think it's interesting that Jesus asked the disciples this question in the midst of a city that worshiped many gods which I think is not too far removed from where we are as a society today. See, we are tempted all the time to worship different gods. I already mentioned some of them to you. Things vying for our time, things saying, no, 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 you need to be involved in this church. You need a break, you need to relax, you need these things. And Jesus here is in an environment where it's like, man, there's so many gods to worship, like, why have just one? Verse 14, look at, and they said, here's how the disciples answer this. They say, they said, and they're referring to what Jews were saying. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he, Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Now listen to me. Here's what I want us to get today as we start out this series. When I ask you, why church for you? Don't answer that question based on what I think you should say or what God thinks you should say or what your wife or your husband thinks you should say or your friends think you should say or your kids think that you, you should say. No, no, I really want you to say, ask that for yourself. Why church for me? Because what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, telling his disciples, no, no, I'm not asking you to regurgitate what someone else has said about me. I want to know who do you say that I am. Look at what Jesus says, or what Peter says. Because Peter is always the kid in your classroom who always is the first to raise his hand. Right, teachers? You guys have endured, by the way, so well. Only a few more weeks. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Like I just imagine like if you're in our classroom, you got that kid and he's like, ooh, 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 ooh. And you're like, yes, I see that hand. Ooh, ooh. And then you call on him and he's so proud or she's so proud that she knows the answer. I can just see Peter doing that right now. Like, oh Lord, call on me, call on me, call on me. I don't see Jesus calling on him. I just see him as the kid that blurts out the answer, right? And he says, I know the answer. And he gives the right answer, right? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter, you gave the right answer. Actually, Simon Bar-Jonah, you gave the right answer. And I didn't even tell you the answer. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. So he changes his name to Peter, which means little rock. And on this rock, 
What rock? The statement that Peter just made, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you in your Bible to underline first that phrase, on this rock. Because that word rock literally means a ledge, a cliff, a massive stone structure. It would be the equivalent of a foundation. And Jesus says, on this rock, what rock? The reality in who Jesus is. He is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is God in the flesh, he is the Son of God. Upon that reality, Jesus is going to build his church, his ecclesia. He's going to call people from their sin into a relationship with him. And all of that is based on who Jesus is. But it's interesting that word rock is also used in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, which if you call Salem Chapel your home, if it's not already become burned in your brain and redundant, it will be because everything that we're doing in our discipleship moving forward is based on that conclusion that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, you have a wise man, you have a foolish man. One bit built his house on the rock, same word that Jesus used here. One person builds it on the sand. Both heard the words of Jesus. One was obedient and said, I'm going to do those things. And one said not. And the rains and the winds and the floods came and they beat on that house. And the foolish man's house fell flat because he decided to build his house, his life, on something other than Jesus. And the wise man didn't, which is what made him wise And what made the foolish man foolish because he did not? That's the same word that we find in Matthew 16. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this rock. He gives this analogy of a building. Now, review time. So we just walked through 1 Peter. From January to last week. And so in 1 Peter, I don't know if you remember, but 1 Peter is written by this guy who gave the right answer right here in Matthew 16. In 1 Peter 1, Peter says we're a spiritual house, that the church is a spiritual house and it's made up of living stones. Every person that's placed their trust in Jesus Christ makes up that church, that universal church. So even though we're worshiping a Salem chapel today, there are many other churches in this city that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are the church of Winston-Salem. We could go further. The church of the triad. Every person that's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We go further. The state of North Carolina. The church of North Carolina. We go bigger. The church of the United States. We go bigger. The church of the world. Every person in this world that's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a part of the church universally. But in the church universally, there are local churches that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ that are made up of individual followers of Jesus Christ. And Peter uses the analogy of a house because this was a significant impact in his life. He remembers what Jesus said here, and he uses that same analogy when he writes a letter to encourage other churches. I just think that's interesting. Maybe I'm the only one, but I think that's pretty cool. Now, what's the promise? Look at Matthew 16, verse 18. There's two promises here in regards to the church. The first is, Jesus says, he will build it. He will build it. I want you in your Bible to circle these three words. 
I will and my. This does not say Johnny will build his church. It does not say you will build your church. It says Jesus will build his church. That's significant. And then the other promise is, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like it's gonna last, it's going to endure. There's nothing physically, there's nothing spiritually, there's nothing circumstantially that can shake or thwart what Jesus is building. That's significant. So a lot of reasons that people don't go to church is like, man, I went to church one time and that person hurt me and so I don't wanna ever step foot in a church again. And I get that that pain is real and I get that that person hurts you and unfortunately, we are sinful people who make up the church. But listen to me, Jesus promises that in spite of my shortcomings, it's not going to affect what Jesus is doing. He will build his church. So I want you to think about what your church is. Maybe some of you are like, man, Johnny, Salem Chapel is my, my home. It's my place. I love to gather in this place. I love what the Lord is doing in and through this place. And you would say that. And others of you would say, if you're being honest, and I'm so glad you're here. Like, don't remember, this is not a, this is not a series about shame. But you're like, honestly, like, my church is my hobbies. That's what I like to do on the weekend. Like, yeah, I would say, yeah, I prayed the prayer. I've raised a hand, but like, my church is this, and I never really thought about it before, but I guess I'm worshiping me. What you need to understand is the only church that meets the promises that Jesus gives him, gives here, is his. So if my church is a lake, or a field, or a fishing pole, or my bed, or a TV. Hear me on this, and I say this out of love. There will come a point in your life where you will come to the realization that where you have been worshiping and who you have been worshiping has not delivered on what it's promised. Because according to Jesus, there's one church that he builds and there's one church that will endure. Well, what's unique about the church? Have you ever thought about that? What's unique about it? Let me give you these things. Here's what's unique about the church according to the Bible. We just read it in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus founded it. Jesus founded it. He said, I will build my church. In Acts 2, the church begins. Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the disciples with his spirit, they preach, 3,000 people get saved, the church begins in Jerusalem, Acts chapter two. By the way, if you wanna follow along with us, we have a reading plan, salemchapel.org, you can log onto that website, you can download that reading plan and follow along with us. Jesus found it, here's another unique thing about the church, Jesus purchased it. So regardless of what I've experienced in regards to the church, 
should not cheapen what the church is because Jesus purchased it with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. Jesus purchased me with his own blood. And because I've accepted that sacrifice for my sins and I believe in what he has accomplished for me, I am part of the church. I've been purchased by the Lord and the church is a precious thing. It's a costly thing. So listen to me, if you're not engaged in a church because you've been hurt or because, because maybe the leadership did something squirrely or whatever it is, then leave that church. Do everything to get, get, it, get right with those people, but leave that church and get it connected into another one. But don't allow someone's sinfulness to cheapen what the church is. He purchased it. What else did Jesus do? He protects it. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No demons going to win against the church of God. No circumstance is going to win against the church of God. Listen to me, COVID is not going to, to defeat the church of God. And Jesus will one day come back for it. And I'm so thankful for that. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18 talks about that hope that Jesus is coming back and he describes the church as a bride dressed up for her husband. Let me give you a definition of church as we get close to wrapping up this morning. It's a long definition, but I want you to write it down or take a screenshot. Church is a people redeemed by God through Jesus Christ, remember? Church isn't a building. Church is a people redeemed by God through Jesus Christ whose mission is to love God and love one another. Those are the two greatest commandments. As they do what? Remember, we're called out ones for a purpose. Love God, love one another. As we do what? As we make and mobilize disciples who represent, who speak the gospel on delegated authority. That's what that word represent means to every man, woman, and child. That's the definition of church that we're using throughout this series, and what I want you to understand is this definition can't be accomplished outside of community. Listen to me, I don't know about you, but when I was having to teach 15 weeks in front of a camera with nobody in here, I was saying to myself, God, I wasn't called to this. Like, we're ordaining gray in a pastoral ministry. Like, I remember when I was ordained, I was like, this wasn't it. Like, if I knew that this was it, I'd probably be doing something else. Now, did we need to do it? Yes, we did, and all those things. I'm not discounting any of that. My point is, if there's something unique and there's something special, when individual people who make up the church who are called out from darkness into marvelous light, as 1 Peter says, gather together to worship him. Let me tell you something, that can't be replaced in a living room on a TV screen, listen to a YouTube sermon, listen to worship music. Listen, if that was all there was, listen, I ain't preaching this message, praise God, you know, our needs are being met financially, like the giving's never been stronger at Salem Chapel, all those things. So if you think that I'm teaching this series because I need a paycheck, you're wrong. But it's so important to remind us, why do we do this? Turn to Acts 2, 42 through 47. It's gonna give you these things really quick. Like I said, I'm a teacher, so I feel compelled to say this. This isn't all 
we're gonna look at just today. So like I said, you just need to put in your mind, if you're one of those people that said he didn't say this, he didn't say that, just put this in your brain and write it on your notepad, slow your roll. I want us to go to Acts 2, 42 through 47, because in Acts 2, the church starts, but in Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see significant things that are happening inside of that gathering that I believe is a model for why gathering together is important. See, here's the first thing that I see that happens in this community There's instruction from the Bible. Verse 42 says, and they, these 3,000 people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Like like they sat under teaching. There was instruction from the Bible. Like, okay, we got 3,000 people in this joint, and we got a lot of opinions, we got a lot of backgrounds, so we're gonna remind ourselves that there is a standard for what is true, and we're gonna learn about it. There was instruction from the Bible. It's why we do this. Here's the second thing. There was fellowship with followers of Jesus. Look at the end of verse 42. It says, not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they devoted themselves to fellowship. Like we see gathering together around other people is important. It says, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So what they did back during this time is they would literally have a meal together. But part of that meal was they would celebrate communion, just like we do here at this place, where you have people in a room or wherever it is that are saying, no, 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 we're all gonna remember together why we're the church, that it was Jesus' body that was broken for us, and it was Jesus' blood that was shed for us, and we're gonna collectively celebrate that together and remind ourselves of that reality, and we're gonna pray together. Man, there was fellowship, and they devoted themselves to it. That word devoted means that they literally were, were loyal to it. It was essential to their lives. It wasn't a nicety, it was a necessity. And I say that because some of us, because we've been out of the rhythm based on what we've gone through this last year, evidently what it's revealed for some of us is church is not a conviction, it's not a necessity, it's a nicety. Like, well, if it fits in my schedule, great. Rather than saying, wait a minute, it's part of my ethos, it's part of how I do life. So if it doesn't fit in, then we gotta ask ourselves, then what needs to go? Because fellowship with the followers of Jesus Christ was part of what they did in this gathering community. Look what else it says. It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. They were collectively giving of the resources. I don't believe, based on the language in here, that it was like, well, 10% of you all are giving, the 80% of you are riding the winds on the backs of the 10%. No, no, no. Everybody was in this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. You see that? How often? Day by day. So not just on Sundays, day by day. They received food and glad and generous hearts. Here's the third thing that I see that this gathering community involved that I believe is a model for how we should do church, specifically here at Salem Chapel Can't speak of what's happening down the road. But I see in this verse 43, it says, awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. There there was an expectation of God to do the miraculous. 
I think we've, lose, we, we, we've lost, many, some of us, I mean, many of us, maybe some of us, the expectation that when we gather together with God's people, that God's gonna do something that only he can get the credit for. I'm gonna say this transparently, not to make much of myself. Honestly, hear me on that. If you think that, man, you, you missed the point. But every morning before I come into this place, I said, God, would you do something when we gather together that no one else could possibly get the credit for? That you couldn't say, man, Gray just knocked it out of the park. The band knocked it out of the park with worship today. Or, man, I'm so glad Johnny, you know, kept me engaged the time he was speaking. You know, that was pretty good. No, 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 no. Like, something happened today that I can't give credit to whoever was on that stage. Marriage is being restored. People realizing they're a sinner and they need Jesus. That's happened in this place. People that you never thought would ever place their faith and trust in Christ. And God used his word to do that. Marriage is being restored. People in life groups seeing changes. They were vulnerable and shared what was going on and they had a community around them to help carry them and lift them up and bear their burdens and the way that life change happened. Praise God, we've seen that at this church. But listen to me, when's the last time you've walked into this place saying, God, I'm, I'm coming in with expectation. Here's the fourth thing that I see that happened in this gathering that I think needs to happen when we gather, a celebration of God's activity in and through the church. Like, man, God's doing something in my life and I wanna praise him for it. He did something in my life this week. I took God's word and I applied it in the situation and even though it didn't necessarily work out exactly the way that I wanted, man, I'm able to see the way that God is growing me or growing this situation or seeing that this relationship's not too far gone or I've seen God provide in a way that I've never seen him provide before. And I told my life group about it. I told my elders about it. I, told, I had someone pray with me in the lobby about it and man, I've seen God work. They did that during this time. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. What does it say? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Listen to me. When you have a community that's living out these things in Acts 2, 42 through 47, that's going to be a contagious community. People are looking for that. So we sit here today and we ask that question, why church? Why do we do this? Why do we gather in a room and sing songs and sit under God's word and connect with people in the lobby and go to a small group and Because Jesus promised he's building his church. He's purchased his church. He's protecting his church. He'll one day come back for his church. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called out by God for a purpose. And that is not to live your life in isolation, 
but that is for you to love God and love one another as you invest in others in the same way that someone loved you enough to invest in you. So that when we go out of these doors and you turn around and you walk out of these doors, there's a reason why on that back wall it says make and mobilize disciples in Winston-Salem and around the world. Because we need to be reminded that we gather in this place for a purpose and it's not to be entertained and it's not to be make, try to as best as possible not bore you. No, no, no. We gather into this place to remind ourselves that we are called out by God. so that we can share the life-changing message, the good news of the gospel with every man, woman, and child we come in contact with. Would you stand with me this morning? And let's sing one more time. And let's praise one more time. And as we sing, and let's thank God that we can do church today. Let's sing to him.